I invite you this evening to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, right before Revelation, just after 3 John, one of the shortest books in the Bible. And our text is going to be the whole thing tonight. It's only 25 verses long, so don't panic. You'll find it on page 1909 in your Pew Bibles, the book of Jude. We will read through the whole thing, starting in verse 1. Let us give attentiveness to the word that we will contemplate this evening. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to those saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change, who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer in the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts that they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. 
Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let us pray that the Lord would bless our time of worship this evening. Almighty God, we have heard your word this evening. We have heard the word that we are going to contemplate, this letter from Jude. We ask that you would engage our minds, open our hearts, that we may grow closer to you, that your name would be praised, and that we as your people would go from this place being salt and light to the world around us, shining like stars that hold out the word of life. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, a number of you have heard I'm on the move. I'm moving from Illinois to Indiana. And one of the things about moving to a new address is that it's not all your stuff. And it's always interesting when you go to the mailbox and, you know, you expect a letter or, you know, you see a flyer that maybe will say to the current resident or to whom it may concern, right? Back when we had to take letter writing at Ileana and all of a sudden you had to figure out, okay, this isn't to Mr. or Miss, this, it's to some department, some store, so you had to write to whom it may concern. Well... I still remember one of the first weeks I was there, I open up the mailbox and I look at a piece of mail and go, wait a second, that ain't my name. That's the previous tenant of the house. Now, it was just some flyer, some ad from someone, but I looked it over. Well, people of God, tonight we're going to look at someone else's mail too. We're looking at the book of Jude. The book of Jude like James previously, was a brother of Jesus, and wrote to a specific church. But we don't know that church. And there's nothing in this book that gives us a significant detail to talk about, oh, this was the church at Ephesus or Corinth or Thessalonica or Antioch or somewhere. We just don't have those details. We do know that this was a church that knew their scripture, because we know that there are Old Testament references here. But we also know that this was a church that had people in there. We would commonly refer to them as wolves in sheep's clothing, leading people astray, taking their nasty tendrils and plucking out the good roots. And so Jude writes to this church, even though he wanted to write to them specifically about the salvation we share and joy and love, instead he says the urgency for this writing is to make sure that you are rightly discerning what is from God and what is not. And so tonight as we look at the book of Jude, 
we're going to look at two major sections. We're going to look at the severity and the problems of false teachers, but then also the positive, the perseverance through the right discernment of a teacher that is from God. So for the first part tonight, taking a look at these false teachers, the issues and the questions that concern them. Jude writes to this church saying the common greeting in verse 1, to those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. He notices that, or we can notice here in verse 3 that he calls them dear friends. This is not a church that he is completely estranged with, but this is a church that he knows. People that he is in intimate fellowship with, he calls them friends. He says, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to those saints. Instead of a letter of encouragement or specific encouragement, now he says, my urgency, I can't wait any longer. I have to write to you. I wanted to just find a nice large piece of parchment that I could write this beautiful, eloquent thing and, and the salvation of God that we share and words that would be like Paul's that lift everybody's up. And we can just see Jude kind of thinking that in his mind. And yet at the same time, he goes, but we've got to stop this here. And so I have to write to you. I urge you to contend for the faith. I can't wait to write anymore. I can't wait to find the resources or the words or anything else. I have to give this to you now. That's how urgent this is. And I'm going to urge you to contend for the faith that was entrusted to the saints. People of God, how urgent are we to contend for the faith? I know of many, many people that would say, oh yes, I would take a bullet for Christ. Yeah, if people would barge through the back doors and start shooting everybody, you know, yeah, I would, I would be a Christian because, you know, they would, if they would put the gun to my head, I'd say, yeah, sure, do it. And yet, people of God, do we have that exuberance when we leave this place, Monday through Saturday? Many of us would do the big open thing to contend for the faith. Many of us would say, yes, I would stand in front of the jihadists. I would have no problem going to Afghanistan and being part of a church and having the Taliban come through and shoot Christians. I could do that. But when there's coarse joking in the lunchroom, when you do something for selfish gain, instead of living in a selfless way. Are we willing to contend for the faith in the little things? Brothers and sisters, I think that's why we need to be reminded of it all the more tonight. It's so easy to do the big gestures. But Jude specifically calls out and says, 
You who listen, hear well. You are listening to godless men. Contend for the faith. You can hear the contempt in the voice of Jude as he writes this. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now, we don't exactly know what change they're making. This could be a Gnostic change. It could be the, the Gnostic gospel, the Gnostic uh, metamorphosis that happened that was common at the time where you would spiritualize everything and the physical, you know, Christ couldn't have actually come in the physical. He couldn't have actually died in the physical because, you know, the, the physical is evil. And so it could be a denial that Jesus was actually a person. It could be a denial that Christ, who lived and died, could actually have been the Christ because he wouldn't associate himself. God does not associate himself with the physical. That's a possibility. But what we do know for certain in verse 4 is that they deny Jesus Christ and use the teaching the twisting of the word as a license for immorality. Now, that license for immorality is something that we theologians, and of course, we theologians love to throw big names onto everything. We call it antinomianism. Anti meaning against, nomos meaning law, against the law. And ism is a belief, so it's a belief that we are against the law. Antinomos. And these teachers here were antinomos. They used their teaching as a license to just do whatever they wanted. After all, who cares? The body is corrupt, the body will die, and eventually when we all die, we'll all just be spiritual. So who cares what we do in these bodies? The Epicureans were extremely famous for that in Greek times. And so that type of thought has worked its way into the church that Jude has written to. In fact, this is not a, it's not something that we're unfamiliar with either, is it? Well, who cares about who I marry or who I sleep with? Who cares about this or that? I mean, as long as Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I mean, who cares about what I do on, you know, during the week or how I handle business or, you know, I mean, once in a while, you know, you, you got to sow your wild oats, right? I mean, that was just a part of my life then, and, you know, now I'll settle down kind of thing. Because after all, the most important thing is that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, that's all well and dandy, but having a personal relationship also means that you have regular interactions with that person. And when Christ says, you shall not have blemish or spot, when 
you are holy just as Christ is holy. Or when God says, I am holy, therefore be holy. It's hard to be holy when you look just like the world around you. It's hard to claim that you are one who is separate from the world. And yet you still use and manipulate whatever teaching you possibly can as a license for immorality. Jude also tells them in verse 5 that this is just a reminder I know that you know this, essentially, is what he says. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Jude starts here by saying, you, this church, just because you have members doesn't mean they're all saved. Just because you have people in your midst doesn't mean that they're all just going to go to heaven and that everything is all hunky-dory. No. Let me remind you from history. He pulls out three Old Testament examples. He points out the people that come out of Egypt. He points out angels. And he points out Sodom and Gomorrah. The first thing, the first Old Testament example he points out is the judgment of the unbelievers and the people of Israel. After Israel had left the land of Egypt, after the Red Sea, after the miraculous things that had already happened, after Egypt giving them absolutely everything they possibly could, saying, go, get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. We know that we've mistreated you for hundreds of years as slave labor, but we're just going to give this stuff to you so you can get out of here after the ten plagues. There were still those who did not believe. They think, oh, this is just coincidence. We hear scientists nowadays trying to explain the ten plagues through some natural means. Well, you know, the, the river of the Nile didn't actually turn to blood. It was actually a landslide that put clay into the water, that poisoned the water, and that's what, called, that's what killed all the fish and all the frogs and everything else. And because the water went bad and the bodies of the fish popped up, the frogs couldn't be there, so the frogs had to find new places, so they hopped into the Egyptians' houses that happened to be near the river because, you know, that's the best territory in Egypt. And, of course, you know, the flies that were maggots on the bodies of the fish, that's what sprung up later, and so that was the plague of the flies. It was just because of the fish that died in the river. Oh, in the darkness? Well, you know, that can be explained because there was some volcanic eruption over in Greece, and so the darkness came over, the big clouds of ash. So you can't call it supernatural. Our world tries to find absolutely any possible way to deny the existence of God. And it's even right here in our midst. Jude makes reference here to the story, what eventually would be known as the bronze serpent. 
the people of Israel come out into the desert, past the Red Sea, into the desert of Sinai, and in numbers, there is a group that denies Moses leading them, denies the prophecy of Aaron and of Miriam, rises up against them. And in the book of Numbers, we hear about God striking the people with, in, their, in the language of Hebrew, fiery serpents, poisonous snakes is what we would say. And these poisonous snakes go through the entirety of the camp and they kill thousands. This isn't just one family or two families. This is a percentage of the population gone because of a snake infestation. This was judgment, like the people of Israel had not known, because it always happened to the Egyptians, not to the Israelites. We can also point to what happened after the Ten Commandments, when Moses throws them down and breaks the tablets, and the golden calf is washed into the water and they drink bitter water. Right after that, there is contention, and Moses cries out, is there anyone here who is for the Lord? And a clan of the Levites steps out, saying, we are for the Lord. This is in the book of Exodus. And they strap swords to their side, and they go throughout the camp and slaughter their kinsmen. Over 50,000 die on that occasion. Again, a percentage of the population gone, as brother kills brother. The judgment of God upon unbelievers is harsh. It is rapid. And it is not something that we need to take lightly. Angels thrown from heaven who did not keep their position but followed Satan in his rebellion. James talks about, I see one like a star that falls from heaven. And there were many like him. Sodom and Gomorrah, who's a very common story that we all know and that we actually just heard from Pastor Carey during his Genesis a sermon series that he's doing, so I won't belabor that point, but just to say that Sodom and Gomorrah, a place beautiful, flowing with milk and honey as part of the promised land, and yet because of their sexual immorality and perversion are wiped off the face of the earth with brimstone and hellfire. Jude specifically says in verse 7 that they these three in particular serve as examples of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. These are the stakes. This is what will happen at the end. We're not dealing with, well, it's a little white lie. It can't be that bad. Nobody really got hurt. We're dealing with eternal fire. The ultimate judgment this is the gravest thing we can possibly discuss. That's the urgency 
that Jude is calling these people to. In verse 8, he calls them dreamers. In another translation, he says, these people who rely upon their dreams, these people who have their own idea of how the world should work, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. They have a threefold damnation to them. They have no basis in reality. They're dreamers. They pollute their own bodies because they don't care what happens to the physical. They reject any semblance of authority because God is what places that authority here and they want nothing of it. And so what they do in the rejection of that authority is they slander the God who has placed them in authority over them. You see, brothers and sisters, this is one of the things that maybe we don't familiarize ourselves with a lot. But pastors, elders, and deacons, parents, representatives, and yes, even governors and presidents, they've been placed there by God. They've been given special authority, special responsibility for the care of the people of God both in the holy and in the secular. Here within the walls of the church and there in the outside in God's world. And how often do we slander those around us because we don't like this law or that law? Because we don't like what this person or that person has said? I have a lot of friends who were gung-ho when former President Trump was in office, and now that current President Biden is in office, much of what they say I can't repeat from this pulpit. How often do we go along with that in violation of the fifth commandment to honor our father and our mother? To honor the authority that God has placed specifically over us. Jude says that the marks of these men are specific. There are three. He first tells us about them from verse 9 into verse 10, but then gives specific examples. He says that he gives an example of the archangel Michael when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him. He didn't slander the devil, Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The one who has ultimate authority, he is the one who rebukes. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that, they, that destroy them. Even the things that teach, that they teach, are the very things that break down, destroy, and corrupt from within. 
And so he gives specific markers. Verse 11, woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. And they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Three more examples here. What is the way of Cain? Cain in Genesis 4, as the common story is, is jealous of his brother and the sacrifices that he offers, and so he takes Abel, brings him out into a field, and murders him. The jealousy and pride within his own heart eats from the inside out to the point where his hands are so corrupted that it leads to the snuffing out of the life of his own brother. And then when he is judged, he tries to get out of it by saying, well, am I my brother's keeper? And the resounding through history is, yes, you are. Cain was marked. He was judged. He was told that he would be a wanderer. The second example is that of Balaam. Now, interesting that the story that we think most commonly of Balaam is Balaam's donkey. How Balaam's donkey went to the left and he beat the donkey to get him back on the road and then went to the right and beat the donkey and get him back on the road and then he sits down in the middle of the road and all of a sudden Balaam's donkey speaks to him and his mind is blown. Donkeys don't talk. And then God opens his eyes, and he sees the angel with the flaming sword. And he acquiesces, and he can speak only the words that God gives him to speak. But Jude doesn't talk about that. He doesn't make reference to that. In fact, his reference is later on, later in Numbers. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. The error of Balaam was not that he was going to pronounce curses or that he was going to pronounce blessing. The error of Balaam is that he was hired by Balak to take the gift that God had given him and use it for monetary gain. Balaam took the prophecy of God. He took this glorious gift and used it in whatever possible way he could to make money. Oh, that rubs me the wrong way, and I hear about it so often. How many mansions does Joel Osteen own? How many times have we heard of another health and wealth preacher talk about, I need money for a new airstream or golf stream or whatever jet they're talking about? We hear about the horrible corruption in Benny Hinn's organization where people who desire miracles because they've got nothing left in their lives. Medicine has let them down. Doctors don't have answers. And so they come to the one place that they think that they can see a miracle, that maybe through this person that that God would grant them healing. And what does he do? He takes every bit of money that he possibly can He smacks him with his jacket and says, go be blessed. Doesn't even offer him a cup of cold water. 
man who uses the gift of voice and prophecy is marked for judgment if he uses it for his own gain. Balaam was judged. Balaam was condemned. And so too are the Balaams of our time. The third example that Jude uses here is that of Korah's rebellion. Korah's rebellion is probably not most known to us, but Korah, along with Dathan and Abiram, rose up against Moses. They wanted a complete and total egalitarian understanding of society. They wanted the absolute equality to everyone around them. No high, no low, everybody in the middle. I don't care about calling, I don't care about anything else, and how dare Moses put himself above everyone. They denied that Moses was from the Lord. They denied that Aaron was a priest. And they rebelled. They cursed Moses and they cursed Aaron. And Moses still had the heart in him that when God said, step away from these people, I will bring down fire and kill them all. Moses pleaded and said, Lord, please don't. Aaron brought out fire from the altar, placed it in a censer, and prayed for the sins of the group of separatists. And their cries grew louder and louder and louder until finally Moses said, you 250 men that have joined with Dathan and with Korah and with Abiram, put fire in your censers and set over here. Aaron will put fire in his censer and stand over here. And whoever gives the pleasing fire before the Lord, the sweet fragrance, may they be the one that God has called. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram were killed. The 250 men had fire come down from heaven and consumed them. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and their families, when they stood in the front of their tents, the ground opened up underneath them and they were swallowed into the place of the dead. And the earth closed back up over them. The 250 censers that were left over, according to numbers, were pounded into a sheet and placed on the altar as a warning to anyone who would ever offer strange fire again. A denial of God's authority, the using of gifts for personal gain, and the stemming of all these sins from jealousy and pride are the marks of a teacher who is false. Jude says, woe to them, in verse 11. 
but he calls them out even further, coming up with probably some of the most colorful language that I have heard, and it is awesome. It's always great to read letters and you think, wow, I never would have thought of it that way. It's almost like Shakespearean insults. But he says, shepherds who feed only themselves, they're clouds without rain. They have no benefit to anyone else. They're autumn trees that are supposed to be full for the harvest, figs that are ready to come down, dates that are ready to be harvested and eaten, and instead, they're without fruit and they're uprooted. They're worthless because they don't produce anything, and they're worthless because they don't have any roots in the ground to begin with. They might as well just be a tumbleweed bouncing across the ground. They're shepherds who feed only themselves. They kill their sheep because they don't care. They're trees because they don't produce fruit, and they don't have any sustenance of their own. And they are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, full of sound and fury. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands. Jude points to the very end of time and says, don't you see what's going to happen? I call them these things because this is the ultimate goal. And so, dear friends, as I call them ungodly and ungodly and ungodly, and in fact, four times he uses ungodly in verse 14 and 15, convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts that they have done in the ungodly way for all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. He hammers it home time and time and time again. He says these men are not to be left off the hook. These are the little ones. These are the ones that lead the little ones astray. The ones who are supposed to have the millstone tied around their neck and tossed into the sea. What are the marks specifically of what they do? They are grumblers. Did you hear about so-and-so? You know about so-and-so? Why is he doing things like that? You know, this organization would work so much better if this is what happened. You know, if the pastor would just preach this, if if the church would just come up with a program like this, you know, if the governor would do this or the president would do that, They're grumblers. They're fault finders. There's no positive word among them. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. There's not a selfless thing among them. They refuse to talk about the wonderful things that God has done through the church or the good things that maybe the pastor has said. Or maybe good laws or profit that has been given to the state or to the country by a particular leader. It's all good or it's all bad. And they refuse to look at the other way. Because it doesn't give them an advantage amongst their friends or the other people. 
but judgment is coming. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their un-ungodly desires. People of God, these who divide, these who scoff, these who fault find, these who have nothing good to say about the church or anything about anybody else, they will not win. Instead, we hear the glorious words that Christ's kingdom is forever. They try to divide, but God unites. And so we must build ourselves up in faith. We pray that the Holy Spirit who regenerates, who reinvigorates, who unites us as one, that he would be glorified and that he would work mightily in our place, in our time, and in our people. And Jude says, do not fall into this temptation yourselves. Verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. There are those people who are going to sincerely doubt that Christ is there to love even them. And they will falter, and they will fault find, and they will have problems. And they will have issues, and they will call you all sorts of names. But we are called to have mercy. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This comes from the love that God has displayed to us. Verse 21 says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Just as we heard from Ephesians 5 this morning, we are to be characterized by love and walking in love. And so the same Holy Spirit that inspired Paul to write Ephesians 5 is the same Holy Spirit that inspires Jude to write to this church here. And the message is the same. There's no inconsistency. Love. How are you to deal with fault finders? With those who have nothing but grievances? With those who do nothing but what they want for their own selfish gain? Love them. Show them mercy. Snatch others from the fire. Save them. Show mercy mixed with fear. And Jude finishes with a doxology. Praise to the Lord that he may have glory and majesty and power and authority. All of this should lead to praise. Even though we can discern right from wrong, truth from untruth, and we can persevere through it, the key, the mark of the true church and the true teacher and the true pastor
and the true person of authority is that none of it is for themselves. And Jude here, under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit, can finish his letter in one way and in one way only. Praise the Lord. He's the one who grants the authority. He's the one who grants the mercy. He's the one who is worthy of all these things. And so tonight, as we prepare for this coming week, as we leave from this place to go upon the lives that God has called us, let's not be grumblers and fault finders. Let's not be those who would upheave our systems around us strictly for our own advantage and our own gain. But rather, let us keep ourselves in God's love. Show mercy to those who are wayward around us. And may we always praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, as we have heard your word this evening, we ask that you would keep our eyes fixed to you. Keep our hearts always pointed toward you. May we rightly discern between false teachers and the truth. May we know your Holy Spirit all the more, that our personal relationship isn't merely words on lips. But Lord, let us be your children, justified and sanctified, called from a world to live a life that is soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. This we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Amen.